know, the older you get, the more you can remember sometimes uh, the de- declarations of your heart or the things that you said, I'm for this. And, and then, because of perspective of time, you look back and go, I was so for this, and then I got confused, and then I got disillusioned, and then I gave up. Have you ever been disillusioned about the church? Have you ever been disillusioned about Christians? Have you ever looked in the mirror? Have you ever been disillusioned about God? Have you ever found it easy to make statements and then to actually follow through with your life has been a bit of a challenge? And that's what we're talking about this morning. One of the things that is the most powerful to me in the scriptures and in the description of those who spent time with Jesus was just how, how much of a roller coaster it was as human beings wrestled with God. And we do an enormous disservice to one another where we don't give room for that wrestling. Because in the wrestling comes the authentic. And through the wrestling comes the strength. You can't know the power of God until you've come to terms with your weakness. You can't know the grace of God until you realize how arrogant and opinionated you are. You can't know what it's like to really know the love of God until you have come to the end of yourself. And you can't know any of that without living. Because information in your head is not information, it's this theory. And the way theory comes from your head to your heart is through experience. And the way you get experience is through living. That's what Diana was bearing witness to. That's what we should all be able to bear witness to. And there's a big difference listening to people who have integrated their head into their hearts. So you discover that disillusionment and struggle is part of the learning curve. Because the way human beings die, Graham Cook often said, you know, to people when he's struggling, they said, die quietly. But it's not easy to die. And so you die when you give up on yourself. And that's the process that goes on and on and on throughout our lives. Until we stop being so worried about it and it just becomes something that reoccurs again and again. God is not a slot machine. If you do this and do that, he's not performance oriented. If you do so many of these things, it'll happen. If you do this, if you sing this. There's so many ways we get into the formula of how to know God and know his presence and yada, yada, yada. And what was so confusing about Jesus was that he, he walked through this life and when he met people, his response to them was so varied. And we so wish it was, you know, three Hail Marys and lick the finger and this person will be healed. But it, it worked once and then it didn't work. And you go, why? Because God isn't a machine, he's a relationship. So as I said at the beginning of the service, while we cannot figure out so much of what life is about in many ways, there's lots of unfairness, there's lots of injustice, there's lots of things that don't make sense You know, some people who are really beautiful and kind and we love them to bits, they die at 40 and the people who we wish would have died at 40 live till they're 90 and just are a pain for another 50 years. You say, God, why don't you just take those ones quickly? (laughs) I'm speaking totally from the flesh, you know. It's relatively easy to make claims about the kingdom and and about our identity. But testimonies, testimonies, are built on tests. What are we talking about today? Words, actions, relationships. 
our words, our actions, our relationships testify to what is within us. That's why Jesus said, don't say you love me if you don't love one another. We'll know, who we, we'll know what is within each of us when we're absolutely in places of pressure. What comes out of you when times are hard is really the truth of who you are. And that's what Gethsemane was. It was a time of testing, a time of truth-telling, a time of revelation. Not only revelation of God, but revelation of us. And last time, I was talking about the beginning of Gethsemane where Jesus takes his disciples. All his disciples, they come into the garden and the Garden of Eden was the place where everything was beautiful and God was present and then there was the choice, the two trees, the good knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and the human beings chose what they thought was true and it ended up being the one that was a lie and thus set the stage for a long turmoil of separation from God. I'm not going to go through all that now. Other than the Garden of Eden was the place of God's presence and his grace. The Garden of Gethsemane is the place where God is restoring that. And where God walked in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam, when the second Adam got into the Garden of Gethsemane, God started withdrawing. The place of encounter in Eden became the place of judgment in Gethsemane. So last week or two weeks ago we were talking about how as Jesus wrestled and said let this cup be taken from me Satan was there whispering you can have that cup taken from you if you let go of your disciples you can have that cup taken from you if, he, if you let go of you and you and you and you because Jesus ultimately was wrestling with if I go through this on my own I can be free if I go through this with you I have to die and so we were in Gethsemane and, and, and Satan was saying, why would you die for these guys who are snoring and they're not even keeping up with you? You have poured your life into them for three years and they can't even stand by you when you need them. And Jesus said, I will go through this with them or not at all. And so he chooses. And as he chooses, as he begins to identify with us, God and his spirit have to withdraw because they can't be in the face of evil. And for the first time in his life in Gethsemane, Jesus begins to feel what it's like to have no God in his conscious feelings, presence. The beginning of the judgment, I believe, maybe starts there. And so Jesus has been wrestling and he comes to this place where he goes to his disciples and he says, get up, my betrayer is coming. And I believe at that point, and I, I've never thought about this before until this year, at that point, Jesus is now going to walk in faith because he has no connection with the Father. Because the judgment of the world is upon him. The sins of the world are upon him. And for the first time in his existence, in eternity, I don't know how that feels, he now has to walk as a man, trusting in a God that he can't feel, he can't see, he can't sense. He has to remember and the disciples, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. What happens in Gethsemane is not a fight between Christians and Romans. 
It's a fight between believers. Everybody in the garden believes in God. But they're going to kill each other over what they believe. It's one of the biggest problems in the church from here to probably eternity. Believers killing each other because of what they think. And they sincerely believe it. And what we see in the garden, as we saw with Paul when he was on the Damascus Road, sincere belief doesn't mean you're right. And so swords and clubs were coming from one set of believers, the Jewish believers. Jesus was Jewish too, so most of the disciples. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest, uh, is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, to, greetings Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. There's lots of confusion here. We've talked about this many times, but we maybe just think about it again. There's lots of confusion. There's Peter who symbolizes so many who's grappling with what does this mean. All my ideas of what was going to happen isn't happening. I was reading something the other day. It was, I, I wanted to read it to you, but it's too long. Just going back to Jesus, the beginning of his ministry started with confusion as well from a man called John, John the Baptist. This beautiful three pages describing John who says, he must increase, I must decrease. He's poured his life out to be the preparation for this Messiah. And he ends up in courage and conviction saying to Herod, you cannot sleep with your brother's wife. And he ends up in prison because he was standing up for something that was wrong. And he's in prison and he must have said, what am I doing here? I've poured my life for this moment and I'm not in the moment. I'm watching it. And I don't even know whether this is true or not. And eventually he sends somebody to Jesus and says, are you the one? He's, this is his cousin. And he hears back, tell him that the blind see, the lame walk. And John receives the news and goes, but I'm in prison. Why can't you come and visit me? Why can't you set me free? And a few days later, Herod's daughter says, I want his head on a plate, Dad. And he's beheaded. At that moment, John actually probably goes, thank goodness I'm out of here. But up until that moment, lots of confusion, lots of questions. This, this walk with God is not simple. On one level, it's really simple. The platitudes are really simple. Even declaring the truths are really simple. And I'm not being cynical. But one of the reasons faith around North America is about an inch high is because it's Hillsong and Bethel's worship music and not life. You need both. And Jesus went to extreme measures to win for us both. And so Peter is wrestling with this. You, you, we steal from one another the journey if we try and stop people's pain as they're wrestling with Jesus. We steal from one another. If we just say, oh, stop it, just believe. Let them wrestle. Because in the wrestling you come to something that then holds you. But if you look for quick fixes, just take away the pain, you will always fall every time something happens. Because you don't have the muscle. You know that story about opening the egg to let the chick out or the butterfly out of the cocoon and the thing is meant to wrestle to come out of it so that it develops its wings? That's part of what I'm talking about. So you have this Peter wrestling to deny 
uh, wrestling, I'm going to be this. All the disciples, we'll be with you, Jesus, in Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, as the pressure hits and the guys turn up with clubs, suddenly, quite understandably, I don't feel so brave. I don't feel so sure. Because you sure don't look like the Savior of the world or the Messiah right now. And in all of our journeys with God, you're going to experience that, and you've probably already experienced that. You don't look like God right now. And Jesus was walking through saying, God God doesn't look like much right now to me either. But I trust Him and what I know of Him in my heart, and that's what's going to sustain me right now. And Peter's going to go through this garden, and then he's going to go to 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 the courtyard and, the, and he's going to deny Jesus in, the, in a much more tame environment. I've never thought of this either, but this is just a little extra. And the rooster crows. When does the rooster crow? A rooster crows as the dawn breaks, as the light breaks. When the light breaks, truth is revealed. But do you know what we do? Peter goes to Jesus on the shore of Galilee and he says, the rooster made me do it. Why did the rooster crow? We spend lots of time killing roosters, accusing roosters. They're called whistleblowers. You've got to come to terms with God is about us being completely whole. And he doesn't mind watching us wrestle with that so that we become strong. And Judas How many of us are Judas? Should we all stand? Judas couldn't work it out either. And so he said, well, I'll stay with what I know. So he goes and he says, well, if I can get 30 pieces of silver, I'll tell you where he is. And then Judas leaves and a few hours or days later, he's hanging himself out of remorse. I think Judas will be in heaven. I hope he is. Lots of us have done so many worse things than Judas. I just think he didn't know what to do with himself. And God is fighting for us in Gethsemane. And so these guys come into the garden with these clubs and these swords. And dear old Peter again, probably, I, I think it's Peter, identified as Peter. Peter draws the sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus says, put your sword back. And Peter must have said, I don't get you. I really do not get you. A few days or weeks earlier, you said to us, take up a sword. Two swords will be fine. Take up a sword. Wear a sword. So now we're in a place where we need a sword. I use the sword and you say, put it back. And Jesus says to him, well, let me read what he says because he talks about himself too. After, after the, the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him with that, with that one of Jesus' companions, reached for his sword, drew it out, out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? See, I don't think everything is as it seems often for us. 
The logic is, if you've got a sword, use it. I think Jesus is saying, it's more impressive when you have the ability to cut off somebody's ear and you don't. It's more impressive as a citizen of the kingdom to carry a sword and never use it than it is to not have a sword. He said, I could, have, I, I could call down 12 legions of angels, that's the thousands of angels, to rescue me right now, but I am not. I could look through this crowd and say, your mother has got cancer in, the name of, in my name, he, she's healed right now, and I could actually use words of knowledge and I'll impress you all right now and you'll drop your clubs and you'll actually walk away saying, who is this? I could use every gift at my disposal and I could easily defeat you just by my miracles, by my words of knowledge or by the angels that I can call upon. But if I do that, I'm saving myself. And I have been called to lay myself down for you. So all is not always as it seems with God. What does that mean for us? Because you have a sword doesn't mean you can use it. What does that mean? When you're under pressure, and I'm under pressure, what do I draw? What do I grab when I'm under pressure to defend myself or attack somebody else? What is the sword that I draw? Is it words? Is it education? Is it money? Is it influence? What is it? And God says, put it back. Just because you have it does not mean you're released to use it. And so, Jesus says to Peter, put that, put that sword back and I'm going to heal the damage you've done. Because the focus is on, I have to walk this path to get to the cross, to die on the cross for all humanity. And so that's what we're going to do. And I want to suggest to you that there are many times in our relationships, in the church, and it's going on right now, where under pressure what is coming out is not of God. And what, what comes out under pressure, the swords and the tongue and the attitudes, is not of God. It is actually a revelation of what still needs to be redeemed in us. Because what does Jesus do and Judas comes and kisses him. Jesus has broken bread with Judas and he said, go and do what you need to do. And we, we read, he loved Judas to the end. When Judas comes and says, Rabbi, Master, to betray him, Jesus calls him, he doesn't call him just friend as, as in this translation. The Hebrew, I believe, says beloved friend. When when Judas kisses Jesus, Jesus responds to him, Beloved friend, what would it be like if when we have our differences we look at each other as beloved friend? There's only one person who kisses and betrays and accuses and it's not Jesus, it's the snake. And we can call all kinds of names and all kinds of things about Christian, about Jesus, but what is in us and comes out of us in times of conflict, bears testimony to who rules us. Jesus said, and let, you know, or Paul says, you know, unless your love is in you and it flows out of you, 
But love is tough. Love is not sentimental. Love was sending Jesus to the cross and he bled for that for others. There's seasons for things. It's a kind of perversely encouraging word, this, because it's really going, God is real. He goes deep in us. He searches deep in us. But he searches deep in us. He's in, in Gethsemane, the disciples are learning lessons that are going to enable them in, in two months' time to stand up in front of the Romans and say, you can kill me now. But if they hadn't been through this, they wouldn't have the ability to do that. And those who read about Gethsemane from a distance wouldn't be able to do that. You have to go through it. You have to face your own limitations. You have to face the ugliness of what comes up in you and you go, I wish I could deny this. I hate this. But you say, well, then deal with it. Face your unbelief. Face what comes up in you. Face your desire to pull out the sword and cut somebody's head off. Face all that anger. Because in the facing of it, you become actually equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be different. But you can't go around the experience. The knowledge will never hold you didn't hold them and it won't hold you and me. So one of the ways of living life is to take every day and to say, Jesus, thank you that you are with me and we're going to learn together. And he's going to teach you. And you know how he's going to teach you? He's going to teach you the circumstances of your life. And he's going to say, you better talk to me about your life right now. Talk to me about what you're feeling. Talk to me about that relationship. Why are you behaving like that? Why are you talking like that? Who are you talking to about them? Why are you doing it? I don't have favorites. I'm not in your side. I do not have favorites. I don't get, I'm not impressed with your chatter, the way that you talk about one another. You're offended. I'm offended by your offense. Because you said you were dead, remember? You died with me. Why are you so offended? You're very alive. But I love you. You're my beloved friend. We're going to work on that. Because as a church and as a community, we are meant to be those who say, beloved friends, never draw a sword. Never be delighted at something else that's happening that's negative to someone else. Because you have the ability to do something doesn't give you permission to do it. And Peter learned that through this time in Gethsemane with Jesus as he saw it modeled. Peter totally failed in Gethsemane. And he was courageous. I faced guns and I faced tear gas and dogs in Cape Town and it's not fun. It's terrifying. And he goes up there and he's, he, you know, he, he was courageous. And Jesus met him a while later and he just loved him and he said, you know, in many ways, Peter, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud that you tried and you tried and you tried and you failed and you tried and you failed and you tried. But here we are now at a place where I can equip you with my spirit to enable you to have a resource in you that you could never have had before my crucifixion. And so now I pour out my Holy Spirit on you that you can become the man that you were jealously wanting to be, but you just couldn't get there. And that's cool, because I did it for you. And that's how God looks at every single one of us. He doesn't look at any of us and say, what a failure. He just looks at us and says, I can help you. And for some of us, he says, let me know when you want help. And Peter, you know, learned that. And so you, if you want to uh, 
see what happens to Peter. You just read his later letters in his life. 1 Peter 2, I'm going to close with these thoughts here. He must have been thinking of the Gethsemane when he read it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter learned these things through his life, through his failures, and through his encounters again and again with the grace and love of Jesus who was molding him and leading him. So finally, he can recite this letter because he probably couldn't read. I mean, read or write, actually. He could recite this letter to somebody coming out of what was in his heart. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I believe with every fiber of my being that if we want to see more of God in this church, we need to pay attention to our relationships. I believe with every fiber of my being, going into worship and asking God for revival and renewal does not mean you ignore relationships. And we've got some troubled relationships here. And with every fiber of my being, I'm just saying, beloved friends, put away the swords. Put away the swords. They're no favorites. Be aware of who you speak to, who you listen to. And let's allow a God over this Easter time to do a deep cleansing work and healing work among us that demands humility and a, faith, a trust in God's faithfulness. What you see in the disciples is what you see in the church. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone wants to be listened to. Everyone wants to have the influence. But very few want the responsibility. So Peter went on. He said, do not fear. Where am I here? You see, what Jesus did, let me just say this too. Jesus didn't enter into a big debate. He just led the way and modeled something else. One of the hardest things for all of us to learn is, why don't we just shut up and model something better? <laughs> model more healing. Model more ministry. Model more worship. Model it. Do it. Just do it. Be part of the answer. Be part of the healing. Model humility. Model submission. Model being a servant. You know, I was in a consulting group and I, I, I so regret it because I so messed up. Because it's hard for you to believe I was quite opinionated, but I, I, I was, you know, once. And, uh, and, I, and I had such strong ideas about what we should do and I think some of them were quite fine. But I really alienated the, you know, the owners of these businesses. And if I could do it again, I think, I would like to think, I would just go up to them and say, how can I serve you so that your business can be the best in the world? How can I serve you? How can I just actually be part of what you are doing instead of trying to get you to change? And I really regret, I paid a big price for my mistakes. I got fired by both organizations. And they were unfair. But 
with a bit of hindsight, I still have to say, well, you were a bit of an idiot. <laughs> I was sincere, but I was just going about it the wrong way. I think the model that Jesus shows us is just the servant. How can I serve you? How can I lead you and help you? And how can we... And, and at, at times he just says, follow me. And then people are left to work out whether they're going to follow him or not. Five, you know, hundreds left him. And that's another thing we're learning in this body. You cannot rescue everybody. And you can't take on somebody's cause and make it your own. They have to do it. And every fiber of my being, I think one of the biggest problems in the Christian church is we're trying to protect each other from God. Sometimes people have to wrestle with stuff. Where we need one another is to just make sure we're in God's spirit in that moment. It's, it's, we need one another and the Holy Spirit and everything else. But Paul Peter says this too in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How does he attack you? He put the disciples to sleep. He caused fear to rise up. You know what the hallmarks of Satan are, don't you? He attacks, he destroys, he criticizes, he's negative. He's duplicitous, he lies. It's not hard to spot. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So, Gethsemane, Easter morning, they're all linked up. You can't have Easter morning without Gethsemane. And ultimately, God so loved the world that he sent his son. And the most powerful thing we can ever say, I say it up here all the time, is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is that God came down and lived among us. Every other faith talks about what you have to do to try and get up. God came down in history, in human form, in the person of Jesus, born through a virgin. That's humility. Jesus, the Son of God, I want you to be a sperm. What? And become like them, but not of them. And then you're going to live 30 years just waiting for the moment when I'm going to release you into ministry. 30 years is a long time. When you've got the fullness of heaven and the message of the kingdom. See, all these are illustrations of life on earth with God. So we think he is faithful because there are many, many times where we can have to say, God, you better be faithful because I don't know what's going on here. And then we celebrate his faithfulness anyway. 